Mark and Dan. Mark and Dan. Podcast. Mark and Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you guys for tuning in today. This is the pilot episode of Mark and Dan Meets World. I'm Dan Brown. And I'm Mark McKay. Mark, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing excellent, brother. How are you? I am doing great. I'm talking with one of my best friends about one of my favorite TV shows, one of the best TV shows of all time, Boy Meets World. How does it get any better? Absolutely. I hope you wore your uh, Spider-Man underwear today for this one. Uh, that's a deep cut if you didn't recognize that. Mark, I'm such a Boy Meets World fan. I wear them every day. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're very happy to be airing this here on September 24, 2020, which Woo! is the 27th anniversary of when the first episode of Boy Meets World aired. And it is also the 20th anniversary of when the first episode of the last season also aired that's awesome man did you watch the first episode when it originally aired i want to say that i did but i'm not 100 percent sure um at that time my sister was uh my sister's about two and a half years older than me she was into the tgif lineup uh she was a big fan of step by step and family matters and all those shows so i want to say at that time i was watching i was five years old yeah i was five years old so i i was probably watching but not really computing what was really going on what about you i my brother is about three years older than me so when this aired i was about four years old um i don't remember the first two seasons live because i caught um i remember watching season three on as it aired, but like the first two seasons, I didn't watch till the Disney channel picked it up for distribution later on. So sure. I probably have seen this, but it didn't really catch on until I saw it for the technically the first time in like around 2000, 2001. Well, you and I don't know whether or not we actually watched it live. However, 16 point. Five million people tuned in on ABC at 8.30 p.m. September 24th, 1993 to watch this. It was following Family Matters and it was right before Step by Step. That's how I also know that too. It's because those were two heavy hitting shows in that lineup. And this I do remember, like this was like the big deal as a kid. If you watch TGIF then you went to school on Monday and talked about the shows that you watched Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. I remember watching TGIF on Friday night leaving it on and here in Cleveland on channel five. And then the next morning waking up, turning on the TV, still being on channel five and then watching one Saturday morning. Like, dude, those are the days, man. Those were the great days. Those were yeah. before uh, Russian collusion and all the other things that are going on in the world. COVID. What's that? I never heard of that. Never heard of COVID. No. Is, is that like a band? Is that like a punk band from Detroit? It's a rap band. Oh, okay. That's why I never <laughs> heard of them. Are they like those jugglers or anything? I, I believe they. Uh, I believe they are indeed the jugglers. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, the COVID, uh, there was a few people that we have. If there's a good chance that you probably didn't hear of at the time, Ben Savage was relative unknown. He was in what movie again, Mark? He was in Little Monsters. Do you ever watch that movie? 
it's been forever. I know dude, I've seen it, but it's been forever now. It's such a great movie, dude. It, like it doesn't really hold up, but it's still so much fun. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch it with a, a little bit of a nostalgia. Yeah. And then we also, I don't want to say for the first time we're meeting all these guys, but we 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 meet uh, Will Friedle, we meet Ryder Strong. Will played Eric. Ryder played Sean. Uh, we go on to meet uh, William Russ and Betsy Randall, who played uh, Alan and Amy, who were the parents. Uh, we we meet uh, Mr. Feeney, who was William Daniels, who was the voice of Kit, and he was in a million other things, The Graduate, yeah. whatnot. He was a very esteemed actor, and this was a big get for this show as well. Yeah, it, it definitely brought legitimacy to it because everybody else is, you know, unknown commercial actors bit parts like no nope, nobody's really known but william daniels definitely brought a lot of gravitas to the show and like legitimized the show with family matter step by step and it brought a lot of eyes to moms and dads at the time who knew of him but you know so they can sit and watch the show with their kid yeah speaking of kid that's where we also meet lily gibson who played morgan on the first season dude i uh, love this morgan like she was like such she a was cute funny. girl. Yeah. She was legit funny. She had good timing, especially yeah. for such a, a girl of a young age. She was great. Yeah. And, I want to really say just... she was about the same age as me because she was what, like four at this, like when she was shooting us. Yeah. I, I think she would probably fall in around that age. Yeah. Um, I, I don't believe that she, they ever really gave her like a grade that she was in. I could be yeah. wrong by that, but yeah, Lily Gibson was, you know, to, she was portrayed as four or five years old. Yeah, but she was such a great, like, child actor. Like, she could barely read, and then she still, like, nailed comedic timing perfectly. Yeah, she was great. And that was one of the great things about this show is because this first episode, this pilot episode of Boy Meets World, really does lay a lot of groundwork down uh, for the relationships that we're going to see with Corey uh, between him and Mr. Feeney, uh, between him and Eric, his brother, uh, him and Sean as his best friend, uh, him and his parents. Uh, Morgan is there to really show what a soft heart that uh, Corey has. And this show also goes on, especially this episode, to go that, you know, Corey's got a little bit of a troublemaker in him. He's not a bad kid, but he, he, he misbehaves when... When you expect a 11 year old boy to do so. Yeah. There's definitely, I was definitely Corey as, as a 11 year old kid. I would say I was Corey too. I think we all kind of wanted to be Sean, but I think deep yeah. down we were all Corey. And then as we got a little bit older, we really found out which one of us were Eric's. Yeah. And then as we grew up a little bit more, we truly realized like, Oh, there's Eric from the later years too. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this, this episode really does, lay the groundwork um i mean we do get to see especially in this first episode we get to see Corey and mr feeney's relationship come into play um from their first interaction that we see at the at the opening scene where in the when they're in the lunchroom at the vending machines trading jabs with one another uh the one they're in the, the classroom and mr feeney catches Corey listening to the baseball game while they're discussing romeo and juliet and uh cory thinking that he's a little too immature for it going on and you know, then we see Corey just kind of trying to get out of being in detention, and that's where we really do see the relationship evolve between the two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like this is definitely Buzz and Woody type of best friend relationship, right here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. Uh, who would you say the Buzz Lightyear is? 
Buzz Lightyear is definitely Mr. Feeney because he's the straight man. He takes everything serious. And then Corey's definitely the Woody because he's always like, oh, look at him. He's just a little thing. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I was going to say the other way, but I think that I do think your analogy of that is correct. I, uh, I hope I use the word analogy correctly. Um, everyone's going to realize that I'm the Eric of later seasons on this show. <laughs> I think everybody's going to realize that we're both the Eric of later seasons. <laughs> and that's when we both decided we wanted to be Jack, but we can't. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, we, so it's weird because Corey winds up in detention for listening to a Phillies game. And I don't know if you ever did anything like this, where you tried to listen to music during class. Like you put the headphones in like, in your Oh, definitely. Or- well, I think you you said you had longer hair when you were in high school, right? Yeah, when I was in high school, I had like really long hair. So it was real easy to take those like little earbuds and then fish it through the hair and then stick it in. And then you take the other part, fish it through your shirt, and then you'd have your Walkman because it was, you know, 2006 yep. and before everybody had iPods. Um, and you just listen to your like, oh, I'm going to listen to my you know, Art of Drowning. I'm going to listen to my My Chemical Romance in class. Yeah, I'm cool. I remember uh, being in, in high school and uh, my buddy Dave uh, was listening to one of his CDs. And it was during like one of the study hall periods or whatever. And he tried putting it as low as possible so no one else could hear it. But he, as well as I, had short hair, hair so you couldn't just put the earphones in. You had to have it in your hoodie. And this one kid was just like, I hear God smack. And he went, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, uh, I do remember like bringing comic books and putting those like in the books that we're trying to read. And then oh, realizing yeah, like no kid actually reads with a book right in front of their face. <laughs> like you read yeah. with a book down on the table. Uh, so that didn't work out really well. But we do see, you know, we see both sides of Feeney in this situation. We do see the the stern disciplinarian uh, as, a, as a teacher. Uh, but we do really see his side of compassion as well, um, especially the scene where they're in detention and Corey's trying to get out of detention so he can go to the baseball game. And Corey's doesn't quite understand what Feeney was trying to teach him about the Romeo and Juliet play that was going on in the class. Because during the class, I'm going to quote here, the all-consuming power of love and the inevitability of its influence on each of our lives. Like I, I, I made sure I wrote that down because Corey in class said he's only 11 years old. And Feeney explains to him that all the poets and the playwrights and the philosophers that he was that he's going to be learning about are all older than 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And we 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 see that look of fear on Corey's face, not just for being disciplined, but also because we realize that that's the point he realizes he he doesn't know anything about the world right now. That was perfect editing too because this is where like when in detention mr feeney is just giving him this like very serious lecture and then like it cuts to Corey just looking up with this worry in his eyes and then they show it like two or three times and the fact that they keep cutting back to that and then you pick up that emotion from Corey, like it just makes that scene mean so much harder yeah, and then how Feeney just immediately goes into it right after, uh, right next to it because he, he sees a real family that lives next door to him. And the love that his parents had created life and explains how love is worth uh, everything. Um, and that is when he excuses Corey from class, when you start to realize that, you know, Corey's like no longer scared that he has somebody to explain these things to him. Um, and of course, this is after Feeney got excited um, because Corey had moved out. He, he felt abandoned by his family because uh, Eric bailed on him to, to go instead of going to a baseball game. He decided to go out on a date yeah. and his parents dude, took Eric's out. Yeah, dude, that 
it's happened to me so much times because like my brother was three years older than me. So when I was like that, like naggy little brother, like, Hey, you know, you and I are going to go to this, let's go to this. And then, you know, my brother's like, no, I I'm got this girl I'm, I'm taking along with me. It's like, like that definitely hit me so hard. But as I got older, as a teenager, you realize like, yeah, I, I kind of side with, with Eric in that one. Like you, you have to move on. You really do. And that's one of the good things about this whole series, as you'll see, like you have the nostalgic feelings of when you watched it as a child, but you're also having these feelings as an adult and you're understanding the whole other side now, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really brilliant storytelling that that they did and how they went on to future episodes, uh, not to get too he too far ahead of ourselves, because we'll get to the episode in the future uh, where Eric tells his parents that, you know, Corey's three years younger than me. And now he's like, now he has his own girlfriend. Now he has his own friends. Now he has his own plans. And he starts to realize that three years is not that big of a difference as they get older. Mm -hmm. But here at this time, you know, Corey's 11 years old. Uh, Eric would be 14. I don't yeah. think they ever really go into that detail of, yeah. of this first season that Eric's only 14 years old. <laughs> um, and as you watch this, too, you're kind of like, man, he he looks like he's 20. Yeah, <laughs> really put in the water in Philly that makes 14 year olds look like this. Yeah. Here comes this 80 year old man playing a 14 year old boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yet Feeney was somehow and Feeney almost didn't look like he aged a day during this whole series. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Well, he well, actually, um, you didn't know this, but William Daniels was actually 14 when they shot this oh. episode. And then Will Friedle, he was actually, you know, in his 60s. It's just uh, stage makeup, and they swapped it around. I'm Man, kidding, of course. If you do it, nobody take me serious. <laughs> but that's where you know we we do see you know Corey lives up in uh, he decided to go up in his treehouse and uh, divorce himself from the family, and his mom made him something to eat, and Morgan gives him a a, a little stuffed uh, was it a stuffed animal or a doll? I don't remember that part. It was like a baby doll, I believe. It was a baby doll, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, he got a little scared, so he, he held the doll. But he looks in Feeney's window, and he sees Feeney uh, setting up the uh, his his dining room table. There's two spots. There's candles lit. There's, um, you know, salad bowls or whatever. And the phone rings, and Feeney comes back, and he takes one of the spots away. So as you can tell, like, when, when Corey tells him that in detention, that's where Feeney starts to get a little bit excited and, and tells Corey that he really has no idea about what's going on in the world yeah dude that scene hits so hard um before you figure out what's going on like you're watching it through Corey's eyes away safe inside of this tree it's like kind of like a parable of like he's safe inside this little world that he's created in this treehouse, and he's watching from afar the outside what he's perceiving the world to be which is, you know, Mr. Feeney, he get, he sets up two plates. He's talking to Catherine, the teacher, earlier on. So Mr. Feeney gets this urgent call. He looks worried. He puts a plate away. He just sadly makes um, the salad to himself. And then we hang on to the shot of Mr. Feeney just eating by himself. And then we cut back to Corey just sitting there watching him as if they were kind of eating dinner together. But I like that they shot it from Corey's perspective. So we're watching it through Corey's eyes, not with Mr. Feeney. So we're kind of like viewers with from that perspective. Yes. But here's the thing about detention. Do you remember what I said Corey got in detention for? 
for listening to a Phillies game in class. Yeah, so what was going on during class? Uh, I believe that they were having a reenactment of a scene from Romeo and Juliet. You you are correct. So Corey's uh, second friend in this episode, uh, which is going to be a reoccurring joke for the first season, uh, was a character named Nicholas, played by Chauncey Lapardi, who was Squints in The Sandlot. Uh, and what do you have to say about Chauncey there, Mark? Dude, Chauncey was like such a great character. Like, whatever happened, Chauncey? Like, did they just kill him? All? Like, was he? So Corey got detention for listening to a baseball game in class. Meanwhile, the girl Vanessa Kincaid, Miss Kincaid, she yes. like attempted murder on poor little Chauncey, <laughs> and then got off scot free. What's yeah, up so with that? <laughs> So Kristen Moore, who played uh, who played Vanessa Kincaid on that episode, as Feeney's telling Corey about the all-consuming power of love, they flip back and, and she's on top of Chauncey trying to stab him with what looks like the sword or the pencil or whatever. And Corey's the only one in detention. How yeah. is that not more than one day's worth of detention? Yeah, like the, he probably died because we don't see Chauncey ever again in the series so i'm pretty sure he died which it brings us to our uh first sponsor of the day chauncey laparty and vanessa kincaid in romeo and juliet live in john adams high auditorium watch chauncey mania run wild all over shakespeare you'll pay for the whole seat but you'll only need the edge chauncey mania running wild from 1993 to 1993 Thank you, Chauncey. <laughs> Thank you, Chauncey. <laughs> R.I.P. We miss you, Chauncey. I mean, I get what they did. It was a funny scene. It, it yeah. really was. But there's no, there's no continuity to actions equal consequences. Yeah. <laughs> in this first episode, which is the my really my one main issue with this episode. <laughs> well, this isn't Chauncey meets world. This is Chauncey gets murdered. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another murder happened to his school in Philadelphia. But at least we can say it's not gun violence. Woo! Progression, everybody. But here, and this is something I, I want to point out, too, uh, because I don't know how much Girl Meets World that you actually watched, uh, but a lot of critics gave it a lot of flack saying that the, the show ended like very childish. I mean, mm -hmm. even for a children's show uh, on Girl Meets World. And, and Michael Jacobs pointed out that the ending of the first Boy Meets World, Corey has a tea party with Morgan. And how mm -hmm. do you get any more childish than that? Uh, but I will say that the two in comparison, because Corey's having the tea party, he volunteers to put his sister to bed and Morgan gives him a kiss on a cheek, mm -hmm. which really does show that, yeah, he does these stupid, foolish things that you expect 11 year old boys to do. He's going to get in trouble like an 11 year old boy does, but deep down he really does have this caring, loving heart for the people closest to him. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Like you show, you see a lot of heart in like that 32nd bit of just like, I'm going to take her to bed. And then, so he's kind of being how Eric was to Corey, how Corey was to, uh, his dad, how they just kind of like, I'm there for you until, you know, I need to move on. So, like, this is kind of like having he's going to pass the torch to Morgan as she moves on. But he wants to, like, have that moment with her. 
Yeah, and I mean that is one spot that we did kind of. Uh, I don't want to say skipped over, but we haven't at least brushed yet. Was when Corey just moving back into the house and his mom catches him and she's telling him that he, he's telling mom that he's still mad at Eric for for bailing on him. Mom explains to him, "It's like, well, you bailed on dad because once you started hanging out with your friends, you didn't want to play catch with him as much. You didn't want to do things with him as much. So when his dad re-enters the scene, Corey gives him a big hug and he apologizes to him and gives him a hug and says, you know, this is for everything. So we, we do see that he has this connection with his parents. He has this connection with his family. And, you know, even when Eric comes home and explains that he had such a bad date, um, Corey then it encourages him to call Heather and says, hey, give it one more shot. Mm-hmm. Take her to a movie. You can't Take her do anything movie. wrong in a movie. <laughs> and here's the thing, too, that, that really puts the exclamation point on this episode is the true final scene. When they come back from commercial and before, they, uh, before we start watching um, Step by Step, He's in the lunchroom. He sees Mr. Feeney talking to Catherine and Feeney explains him. And, and Corey's within earshot. So Corey can hear everything that's going on that the other night he made dinner for his sister. She canceled on him and, and Corey gets this confused look on his face. And as he, as Feeney walks by, he goes confused, Mr. Matthews and Corey nods his head. Yes, as it should be, which also again, just perfectly explains what the entire series is going to be. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to be something that Corey or somebody is going to have to learn, something that they don't know. Yeah, and this brings us to the Mr. Feeney lesson of the week, uh, where he teaches us that we may see something and perceive it as the world and is black and white, but things aren't as black and white. It's you may think you know something, but you really don't, and that scene for the longest time always bothered me where I was just like, Oh man. And why couldn't it have just been Catherine that bailed on him? Like, why did it have to do that? That makes me so confused, but it wasn't until like this last watch along. I kind of saw it and I was like, Oh, now I get it. I'm finally meeting the world. Like we're kind of meeting the world too. Cause things aren't just the way we perceive it. If everything changes. Yeah, and even at, at 32 years old, when I watched that episode, like you said, we're meeting the world. I'm watching that going, man, Dan Brown, you're still meeting the world right now. Yeah. And like, so, talk about like perfect script writing here, because if you've ever watched a TV episode, a TV show, the first like two, three episodes, it takes you a while to get into. Like, it's usually around episode four where you finally get into it. But this episode, not only did it establish the characters, it established the relationships between the characters, but it also established what we're going to take on, like the lessons we're going to learn, the journey we're going to take. Like there's so much going on in this episode that this is like script is like TV show script writing 101. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And and I just want to point out here, too, as as we're talking about this, it's becoming more and more apparent because, you know, you'll see it with TV shows like the Big Bang Theory, how, you know, Sheldon's not 100 percent the way he was in that very first episode mm-hmm. um, or or I mean, you can do it with any sitcom, really. How yeah. uh, you look at The Office and look how different Kelly was from the first season to the very last season. Look how different Ryan was from the very first episode to the last. And and you can do that with literally all the characters. Meredith, uh, Stanley, Creed, all of them. Uh, in this episode, though, we meet Mr. Feeney 
and we meet Corey and truly the the two main characters of this show mm-hmm. are going to be constant the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Their, their personalities are not going to be very much different. We're going to see Corey grow up and we're going to see that evolution a little bit, but we're, we're truly going to see the Feeney character be that solid mainstay character that it needed to be the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's definitely the rock of the entire series, which is very like kind of rare in a lot of TV shows. Like we don't have somebody who's just like somebody you look to as like, yes, this is, this is my guy. Mm-hmm. So like Mr. Feeney definitely is like, not only an important character to the series, but important character to, you know, TV history and to a lot of people's lives, especially like people around our age too, who grew up watching boy meets world. Yeah. And, and I got to say, I, I I'm doing the research on IMDB uh, at the time of when you and I discussed doing a boy meets world podcast, I decided to go on all the episodes. I wrote down all their IMDB ratings based on how many votes, um, this way, as we then enter the podcast, we know where we're at. At the time of uh, at the time of this recording, the IMDb rating of this episode was eight point one out of ten, with two hundred and seventy one votes. So I mean, it's not a ton of votes, mm-hmm. but enough people still look back at this first episode and remember it extremely fond- fondly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. The only reason why it's not rated higher is because uh, Chauncey got away with uh, getting killed. <laughs> I got to say, if, if this would have been Chauncey meets world, I, I truly believe every episode would have been a 9.9. Exactly. And the only reason it's not a 10 is because somewhere out there, Kristen Moore is still voting, <laughs> voting negatively on all of his episodes. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too. If it wasn't for that meddling Corey. Yeah. I don't know why she's British now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember her being a, a foreign exchange student. But <laughs> there we go, Mark. That was the first episode. Yeah, this is this is a great episode. Like, I'm so pumped to look forward to, like, diving deep into all these episodes. Because Boy Meets World never really had a bad episode. There's, like, some that are better than others. But oh, of course. they've all been pretty solid. You know, as I'm looking through my notes here, and I, I could be wrong, and this is going to be something that, again, we'll we'll talk about in the future. I don't think any episode got below a seven out of ten on IMDb. Yeah, I mean and that's astounding. Yeah, there's seven epi- uh, seasons of like twenty-two to twenty-four episodes per season, and every single one of them hits. Like you can turn on any one, and none of them are dated. Not like. Every single episode holds up extremely well. I do have to agree. And I hope that this episode held up really well with all you guys out there. Thank you guys for tuning in to Mark and Dan Meets World, the pilot episode. We look forward to bringing you guys weekly episodes every Thursday about your favorite show and our favorite show, Boy Meets World. I'm Dan Brown. And I'm Mark McKay. Thank you guys very much. Have a good night. Do good. Mark and Dan. Mark and Dan Podcast Mark and Dan In five minutes the sun goes down on the suburbs 
55 cops with their guns drawn are betting the suburban legends go with it. Sean Mandos is Craig Lazenby. Mary Lee Osborne is Jamie Doyle. And introducing Matthew Phillips as motherfucker Dave. All is fair in the love of art. The actions begin when they hit the start. Three friends are down to their last resort on making their movie, are now turned to a life of crime to create the budget for their dream to become real. They're making a healthy living by making living unhealthy. Suburban Legends, Life on the Rainbow Road, also starring Haley Madison, Mike Travis, Josh Miller, Calvera Candy, and with a special appearance by Lloyd Kaufman. Suburban Legends, Life on the Rainbow Road, they're not criminals. They're artists. Suburban Legends, Life on the Rainbow Road, an MTV production. Written and directed by Mark McKay. Children under 17 